0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit Houston'sFirst.org. Well, we're so glad that you're here. It's been quite a week in Houston, Texas this week. Um, so, Siena, Cypress, downtown, everybody, Digital Family, Loop Campus as well. This week was kind of the winter break week, is what we have. Every year in Houston, we have a winter break is what it seems like, an unplanned winter break. Last year, it was called winter broke uh, because our pipes broke and the grid broke and the energy broke and all that sort of thing. But this year it was just winter break, and it was basically this, can we get on the roadways and not slip off into the ditch? Can the school buses make it to the school? And so they figured out that we didn't think we could get there or couldn't get home from there. So it was just called off. And so Houston, it's kind of a nice thing when you get used to it. Year after year, you go, well, you know what? Two days off. Here we go. Here's how it goes. And everybody else in the country goes, now do what? Why are y'all off again? Well, it's cold. We don't want to go outside. It's cold. They're like, Okay, you know, but we don't know how to do this. So on winter break this year, and I actually uh, saw a little report that said that it's possibly going to snow during the service uh, right here. So we may be here for days and days. If it actually snows, we'll never get out of church. We'll never be able to go home. So, but to be able to have winter break, it's the slippery roads. That's what everybody's worried about. And it's basically this, the foundation upon which you're walking or driving is not adequate enough to keep you. It's not a good foundation for you to walk on. It's not a good foundation for you to drive on. It won't keep you. It won't get you to your destination without something going wrong. And Timothy, in the book of Timothy here, 2 Timothy, Paul's going to show us in his message to Timothy, he's going to say, I've got a foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ that will not only get you to school, it'll not only get you to work, it'll not only get you back home, it'll get you actually to heaven for all of eternity. And so he's got this firm foundation that he's going to lay and he's going to show about the gospel. The good news is what that means of Jesus Christ coming to earth. And when we place our trust and faith in him, we can walk on a solid rock of Christ and not worry about slipping and falling. So if you got your Bible, I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter one is where we're going to be. I think it's page 1055 or somewhere around there in the Bible in the back of your, your chair there. And we're going to look at this together, and we're going to see this here. Now, let me remind you, we kicked off 2 Timothy last week. This is the last letter of the Apostle Paul. It's been said that it is his last will and testament. So what would you write if you had four chapters? If you were going to write something down, what would you write down for your family to know, for your friends to know, for your church to know, for everybody to look back and say, these were the last words? Well, that's what he's kicking off here in chapter 1. And so we're in this series called Standing Strong, because he's going to give us some things about standing strong, not an icy road, a firm, strong road we can stand on. So I want you to look, if you will, in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. We're going to make it all the way through 12, but let's start with 8 and 9. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Let me say the, those three words with me, power of God. One, two, three, power of God. One more time, power of God. Verse nine, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. So this isn't us, this is grace, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So here we have our first point. If you got your listening guide, I want you to take some notes. It's this, stand strong, we are secure in Christ. Stand strong, we are secure in Christ. That first verse of scripture that he's given us in verse eight, it's a a strong verse and it kind of recoils us back a little bit. He says, look, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Let me just ask you, have you ever been in a time where you've been ashamed of Jesus? Somebody's asked you something and you kind of didn't want to really talk about Jesus. You just kind of gave a little ambiguous, may the force be with you kind of got. Somebody asked you, well, tomorrow, let's take, for instance, somebody said, what'd you do this weekend? Will this moment come up in the conversation? Or will you kind of do everything you can to just not say, oh, oh well, I went to church. Is there ever a time that you get ashamed? I've been in those places before, and particularly, I remember growing up as a teenager, first became a Christian, and people would ask me about it, and I was coming out of this party crazy lifestyle, and I was like, just kind of ashamed that I was a Christian, ashamed of, of now my new friend group, and ashamed, I just, my cool factor was over here, and then my Christian factor was over here, so I had just this little bit of shame in my heart. And it always just served me wrong. It never felt right. It never felt good. It always felt like a mistake in the moment. But here Paul says, Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me. It used to be safe to visit Paul. Now in this time prison in Rome, it's not safe to visit Paul. So some people were pulling back away from him. And he says, I don't want you to be ashamed. Now see, Timothy can be described with three words. He's often described as young, sickly, and afraid. Young, sickly, and afraid. He was timid. His personality had a more of a timid personality. That's why a couple of verses ago we heard, God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, power, and self-discipline. It's verse seven of this chapter. We memorized it a couple of weeks ago. And so Timothy is timid. And sometimes when you have a little bit more of a timid personality, it's hard to be bold with the gospel of Christ. And so we have a tendency to start pulling away a little bit to try to please everybody, to try to make everybody happy. And Paul's saying, I want you to know, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Students, let me just talk to you for a minute. You be proud that you're a Christian. You be a proud, proud that you're waiting for marriage until intimacy comes you be proud that you're not doing drugs. You're not vaping. You're not getting drunk. You're not doing all this stuff. you be proud that your language honors God. You don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus or his people and live your whole life going, you know, I went to church, but I really didn't mean it. Will y'all like me? Because if you run around trying to get everybody to like you, this is for student and adult to like, you're going to end up compromising and not standing strong. Stand strong. You are secure in Jesus Christ. Examine your heart. Look and see if you're ashamed of the gospel. Well, I'm the CEO. I can't say anything. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the people of God? Are you ashamed of the people that put a spiritual heritage in you? Or are you bold in the saying of not rude, not, not arrogant, not, not angry, but saying, no, I am a Christian. I'm not, I'm not a business person that happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian that happens to be a business person. And I want to walk with God in that way. You know, Babe Ruth was one of the most famous baseball players of all times. 714 home runs it took a long time till Hank Aaron beat it with 715 and following. And so, You know, the babe, I mean, he's got a candy bar, right? I mean, how how much better can you get? So here's the babe. And so as he was getting older, though, his skills began to decrease and he wasn't quite as good anymore. So the Yankees traded him to the Braves. And one of his last games, he played in Cincinnati against the Reds. He struck out numerous times. And in the field, he actually made enough mistakes that the Reds scored five runs in one inning because of the babe's mistakes. And so he's coming back in. I mean, this is Babe Ruth. This is legendary. Babe Ruth is coming back in, walking in from the field to come into the dugout. And the whole crowd begins to boo him. They're shaking their fist at him. They're jeering at him. Don't you know that man is fickle, but God is faithful? The crowds will boo and praise you. God will bless and form you into his image. God will always stay with you. But these crowds, they begin to jeer against the babe. They begin to boo against the babe, not even honoring his legacy, not even honoring how good he had done. Just for that moment, going after him and his head was down. He was dejected walking out and a little boy jumped over the rail and ran out onto the field. It was in the days where you didn't get arrested for doing that, okay? (laughs) Now, you know, be like, and this poor young man was tased, you know? I mean, but this didn't happen like that. He was okay, and so he jumped over this little boy, and he took off running across the field. He ran up to the babe, jumped into his arms, and Babe Ruth held him in his arms on the baseball field there and gave him a hug. Set the little boy down, and the two held hands, and they walked off the field together as the crowd booed. I tell you this, let's be that child of God. When the whole world boos, when what should be shamed is celebrated, let's don't be ashamed of what should be celebrated right? And to be able to say, God, I'm with you. And if everybody's booing Jesus and I'm hopping the rail, I'm running and I'm jumping in his arms because don't you know that when everybody's booing you, Jesus is running to you. And so God, I got your hand and I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. I'm not going to be ashamed to be a believer in Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed when the whole world says you're a what. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And I'm not going to be ashamed of his people. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. He's saying, don't be ashamed of the Lord or his people. Or instead, he gives us an instead in verse eight, instead share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on, we said it a few times, the power of God, whose power and whose pleasure are we after? We're after the power of God and the pleasure of God that God can do his work in us and through us. So we don't need to be ashamed. The power of God resides in the believer of Christ, the believer in Christ. And so we can suffer for the gospel. Now, suffering is a university no one wants to sign up for, but it'll give you a doctorate in godliness. And when you go through the university of suffering, you'll get a doctorate in, in holiness, a doctorate in humility, a doctorate in trusting in the power of God because you don't have anything else. You can't trust in your own power. So the first thing he says, I want you to, to not be ashamed because, verse nine, why? Because he has saved us and called us for the holy calling. Two things to put in your listening guide. Number one, God has saved us and he has called us. Saved, meaning rescued from sin and death, into the freedom of eternal life. Now, notice that both these are past tense, that our trust in Jesus Christ, it, it's a completed work. So, saved, we're rescued from sin and death, and into eternal life. Now, we don't like to use this word saved anymore. Here's what we want to say. We want to kind of be like, well, we're enlightened. We're a little bit enlightened. We, we, we used to be kind of at dusk, and now we've moved back into the afternoon. I don't, I don't need to get saved. I just need to get better. I don't need to get saved, I just need a quick cussing. I don't need to get saved, I just, need a, I just need to be a little bit nicer. I don't need to be saved, I just need to go to church more. I just need to do the right things better, all those things. No, getting saved is great news. It's moving from darkness to light, broad road, narrow road, from death to life, that you're saved, that God saves us is a wonderful, beautiful, great thing because it's not in our power. I can get better on my own power. I can't get saved and go to heaven on my own power. I need God to do that in my life, to be saved. Now, where do we stand, though, as a country? Instead of saying Jesus Christ saves you, instead of the Lord saves you, we we have more of a, a different thing here is what we think about is three words, basically this is from a book called Soul Searching by Smith and Denton. And this is what they came up with. They said that instead of biblical Christianity or and saved what I'm talking about, here's the three words they gave. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Let me take it, break it down. This is, this is America. This is our religion. Moralistic, just do good things. Just do good things. Therapeutic, how do you feel about that? Do you feel good about that? Okay, if you feel good about that, that's great. Do good things. Feel good about it. Deism. There's just an ambiguous God in the sky. It's not a God that calls us to righteousness or holiness or has commandments or rules or laws. It's just a moralistic, just do nice things. Help the old lady across the street therapeutic. How do you feel about that? Do you feel good? Whatever makes you happy, God just wants you to be happy. And then deism is just an ambiguous God in the sky. Pick whatever God you want, make it whatever you want to make it. You know, don't make it specific Jesus. Make it just a big ambiguous God in the sky. And that is a far cry from being saved by Jesus Christ. This Bible does not talk about moralistic therapeutic deism. It talks about salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith and grace. That's what it talks about. And that's what it's been talking about for thousands and thousands of years. And so we come to this place where I became a Christian. I was saved when I was 16 years old. And, and I realized, wow, I can't just be good enough. I want God to forgive my sins and save my soul. And then after he does that, he calls us. Called, meaning invited by God, into a holy life. Invited by God into a holy life. So we're saved this isn't Baptist talk. I'm just, I'm telling you what the scripture is saying right here. You can see it. Saved and then called, it says, into a holy life. Now, when we think about called, we think about, well, this means, well, what's God's will for my life? What's my vocation going to be? What college am I going to go to? What are my friend groups going to be? What am I going to do? Uh, what's his plan for me? All those sort of things. And that is a big, wonderful, great thing. I wrote a book called Finding God's Will. I believe in it. It's great. Finding God's will. But this is a precursor of that. This is saying you are called first and foremost by a holy God into a holy life. And who you are, watch, informs what you do. So let's get the holiness straight. Let's get the walk with God straight. Let's get the character straight. Let's get the walking with God straight because he's saved you and he's made your heart holy and your body and your lifestyle is catching up with God's already done in heart and soul. So here he's saying, I want you to get the holy life. And then as that is taken care of, I want you to be able to walk into that. So now I'm a Christian that happens to be a businessman, not the reverse of it. Do you see it? The priorities, Jesus said it like this, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. So the best way I find God's will for my life is I find God. And finding God, his will for all of us is that we walk in obedience to him. Now, all right, now you're really meddling, right? Right? I just wanna get a God that'll kind of bless me over here and make me feel good when I do good stuff, but I don't want a God that wants anything really from me. Moralistic, therapeutic deism is what that is. And the blessing is Christianity is actually real. That's the firm footing. That's not the icy path. Nobody made this thing up. It was given as a gift from God through Jesus Christ, through the Old Testament, through the law, through forgiveness, through the sacrifices, through Jesus being the lamb that was sacrificed. And we end up now, we know our purpose is to walk with God. And we've been talking about more in 24. And I gave you four Ps the last couple of weeks. And one of them was more purpose. We want to have more purpose in 2024. This is what we defined it as. I will grow in my faith through more prayer and Bible engagement. And I just submit to you this. The more you pray and the more you engage the Bible, the more you're going to find out what God's will is for your life. You get about those things and all the other stuff will take care of itself. Give you a story, kind of sad, a little funny, but uh, mainly uh, not a good one about me. I was in high school, I became a Christian my junior year of high school, doing crazy wild stuff and got out all that. Thank the Lord for that. There's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. If you're ever wondering if there's joy in that, there is not any joy in that. And Jesus Christ came into my heart and soul and gave me friends that were better than I could ever imagine. It's just an incredible thing. Still not over it. And in that time, then I'm trying to walk with the Lord, the end of my junior year and then into my senior year, I really started walking. But in that time frame there, I was in a class and it was one of those classes that I had this teacher a couple of times in the class. And I could hear these kids talking about me to the teacher. And it's kind of like, hello, I'm here. You're talking about me while I'm here. I hear you. And then so you know what you do when people are talking about you and you can hear them. You act like you're not listening. You go, do, 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 you know, like that. And so I'm listening and I hear the teacher say, Greg goes to church and the other kid, the kid goes, yeah, he's like a big-time Christian. He is? And in my heart, I was so convicted. I said, now I'm praising God on Sundays, but I'm not walking with God on Mondays at six period. She's shocked that I'm going to church and that I'm a believer in Christ. What is that? That's not necessarily a salvation problem. That's a holiness problem of living. See it? And I can't expect God to lead me to the right college if I can't get six period right with God. I gotta get six period right with God so then I can say, Lord, now you take me wherever you wanna take me. It's not works, I'm not giving you works, I'm giving you great grace that God wants to do something in us before he does something through us. God wants to do something with us before he can do something with us, if you will. So he says, I want you to know that you're saved and you're called. This is a Greek word, kaleo. We've actually got a life Bible study class named kaleo. It's used 153 times in the New Testament. It's to say, hey, I want you to come, come and listen. We're often asking the question of what God do you want me to do when God's answering the question of who I want you to be. And then the what you do will take care of itself. The second thing I want to show you is in verse 10 and 11. Here's the verse, or here's the point, though, if you'll write it down in your listening guide, then we'll jump to the scripture. Stand strong by trusting the gospel. Stand strong by trusting the gospel. We're going to look at the good news of trusting the gospel here and say, okay, the gospel is the good news. It's the firm road, the firm foundation. Let's look at verse 10. This is going to be great. We're going to see three holidays in this verse. See if you can pick them out. This has been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. When did he appear? Christmas. Who abolished death. When did he die? Good Friday. And has brought life and immortality, Easter, to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Stand strong by trusting the gospel. The good news is what we trust in. Now, I got good news for you, church, about the good news. Here's the good news about the good news. We're a church that loves the good news. We're excited about the good news. We love the gospel. We want you to hear the gospel today. We want you to hear the good news today that you can have a relationship with Jesus. He came at Christmas. He died on Good Friday. He rose again on Easter and you can trust him and you can know him as Savior. He can lead your life. He can take you forward. He can do a work in you. That is the great, great good news and far better than do good things, feel good and pick out some crazy God that you don't even know if exists. God's got good news, and we are for that as a church. We've had a two-year initiative called Kainos, talking about new, becoming new in Christ, that new, that has been our whole theme is to declare Kynos, um, new good news, and we've been able to do some amazing things. I want to tell you, we wrapped it up December 31st, and I'm going to give you what our grand total was. I'm going to give you kind of the wrap of the whole thing. It's amazing, amazing stuff, and then we're going to try not to say the word Kynos for a few weeks, okay, because we've been saying it a lot, but we'll be able to, to see what God has done. But we first started, we said we want to start with Kynos with our commission, our commission is our great commission budget that what we do every year, we do counseling every year. We do mission trips every year. We do worship times. We do stuff for kids, for adults, for senior adults. All these things that we do through our commission that we do every year, we said we wanna keep doing those sort of things and amen to that. Then we said we wanna bless our community. And so in Siena, busting at the seams right now. We're going to have, hopefully around Father's Day, we'll have a brand new worship center that'll be able to seat like 600 people. And it's going to be an amazing thing to watch that happen, to see God doing that. We've got here at The Loop, we've got the lawn at The Loop that happened. We've got construction happening in the lobby. We've got faith centers that we've helped to redo right here in Spring Branch. You know that there's churches meeting right now, typically non-English speaking, ethnic-based churches that are meeting right now in amazing facilities because you and I gave to help build that church to make it awesome because we don't believe in just what's happening here. We believe what's happening here, right? We want to love everybody. So God at work, Difference Maker Ventures, we said, hey, let's go for it and let's see if we can uh, bless some new ministries. We've helped start 16 new ministries in our church over Kynos, and I could give you lists and lists and lists, more and more things to do. Here's, Here's how we've done it, though. I want you to look right here on your listening guide. There's a QR code right here at the bottom. If you click that QR code, it'll show you all the videos we've shown over the past two years. It'll show you all the things we've done. It'll let you know everything that we've done uh, in the last two years. And you'll be able to see that. You'll be super encouraged. I really encourage you to look at this and see that. So I can't give you everything, but I can give you a few things. Then we said, hey, we're gonna step into our compassion. So we stepped in to plant churches in Asia and we stepped in to be able to help with with children in Africa. We stepped in for Bible translation, amazing thing on Bible translation. Our church is one of the things we gave to in Bible translation because of our giving. Get this, and I want you to cheer. 500,000 people have the New Testament now because of our church's giving. 500,000 people have the New Testament, or strong, biblical, big chunks of scripture in that place. All of that through our giving and even more of what God is doing. How incredible is that to be able to see that take place in a great way? Now, let me give you a couple just stats here. Let me give you the monetary stat. Our goal was to raise $93 million, $93 million. We wanted 100% participation. Let me tell you, inflation was very brutal against this time in this time period of raises. Building costs, as y'all know, click, 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 click. $93 million was our goal. Well, we raised far more than $93 million. And I say this to you, church, as a celebration. This is the total number, the wrapped up number of what happened by December 31st. Um, and so that's a that's a great thing. And so keep giving now because it's a new year. We got more to do, but I want you to hear this. You ready? Not $93 million. $113 million. Let's cheer. The exact number is $113,496,947 is how much it was. So basically $113 million and a half. That is a work of the Lord. That is amazing, amazing thing. It shows how much. Somebody asked me walking out the door of the previous service, says, I'd love to know the spectrum of what people gave. And I said, well, I can tell you, Jason. Really? And I said, sure. Given a dollar to over, to give millions. And everything in between. God doing his work with the people of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And I'm sure not ashamed of his people. As we step together and say, let's make a difference in a great way. Let me tell you the last thing that's really exciting. This is what I'm most excited about. Well, how many people participated in this? We had 7,000, what we would call giving units. Don't let that sound too corporate. What that means is like a husband and wife, that would count as one. A single, that would count as one. A family of four, that may count as one. You see, so it's not 7,000 people, 7,000 households, if you will, that stepped in. That's how many people gave. Now that's round numbers. If you're like, well, what's the exact number? Well, the exact number is 6,975. Okay. So I rounded up by 25. Now, out of that, how many were brand new givers? never given to our church before. This is awesome. Out of the 7,000 round numbers, 2,000 were brand new givers. Almost 30% were brand new givers to the kingdom of God. Let's cheer for that. Let's cheer. And I want to encourage you without your gifts, we wouldn't be able to do all these great things we're doing. Here's the deal. I've been given for probably 35 years. I'm scared not to give, okay? I'm like, the Lord's blessed. I I just, I love to give. It's it's not a step, it's a blessing. And for those of you though, that the first time to give, it's scary to step out on the faithfulness of God. And I just wanna encourage you, way to go, way to go. You made a difference for all of eternity. Step in. And if you haven't made that step yet, man, you're missing out on a blessing. You let God do his work through you. So we are trusting the gospel as a church. We're standing strong. We're making a difference in our commission of what we do all the time as a church in our community. And we're making a difference with our compassion throughout the world. And we're doing that, all of us arm in arm. And so we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and we're not ashamed of his people. We're together and we're going forward because God has done something. Now, let me show you the gospel in three events People ask, well, how do I share the gospel? Here's an easy way to share the gospel. It's right there in verse 10. And verse 10 is where it talks about, it says, now he has been made evident through his appearing of the Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought to life, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here it is. Number one, Christmas, Jesus appeared. Don't you love Christmas? We just got past Christmas. Love Christmas. The whole world loves Christmas. Everybody sings Christmas songs. Why? Because everybody's yearning for peace on earth, peace in their own hearts, peace in their own homes. A specific savior named Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he changed the world. Christmas, Jesus appeared. It's the Greek word for appearing is epiphany. It's an epiphany that here he is, God in the flesh, he showed up. Number two, Good Friday abolished death. Good Friday abolished death. Good Friday is not just the precursor to Easter. It's where Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. Isn't that incredible? He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and in living that sinless life, he then was crucified on the cross. Peter, even in that moment, do you remember when Peter was ashamed of Jesus? The guilt he felt about it, and then he came back and Christ redeemed him after the resurrection. So Jesus is crucified on the cross, he abolishes death. And let me give you this, this word for abolishing death, it's a Greek word that means to destroy, to make something ineffective or powerless. And I really hope that you'll hear this. If you have lost somebody, they've died, that you love, and you know they're a believer, would you let this little section be a great encouragement to your heart? Christ abolished death for the believer. Those that have put their faith and trust in him. So that we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? And we can grieve, not as those who do not have hope. We can say, God, it's just the next doorway to the eternal life. It's God taking it the next place. Here's what a commentator says. I love this. Death is no longer a terror for those who are in Christ. Instead, it is a doorway into a new existence of beauty, joy, and fulfillment. Where's your loved one? Beauty, joy, and fulfillment. Cody Carnes puts it in a a song that we've sung many times at our church called Christ Be Magnified. Death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, I'll join you when you rise. So I put my faith, and believers in Christ put their faith in the death and the cross. So Christmas, Good Friday, the next part of the gospel is Easter, that he has brought life, brought life. How awesome is that? Look at what it says, the end of verse 10. The Savior, talk about getting saved, Savior Christ Jesus, not the enlightener, the Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death has brought life and immortality to light through what? The gospel, the good news. He's brought life. The stone was rolled away and Jesus was resurrected. So my faith in this baby born at Christmas and the savior that died on Good Friday is gonna assure me that I'm gonna rise again when I die because I'm trusting in his Easter to be my Easter. Do You see it? You can share the gospel just for that. You know Christmas. You know, Good Friday, you know, Easter. That's the gospel right there in verse 10. And to let that happen. It says that Jesus brought life. Now, let me just take a little sidestep here for just a second. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Churches all throughout the world are celebrating the sanctity of life. We believe that God gives life. We just read that Jesus Christ brings life. And we believe that all the way to the grave. And even at the grave, he brings eternal life. He's a God of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto him except by, by. no one comes to, to God except through Christ. And so let me just, for just a moment, because this is a big fight within our culture. And I'm not gonna bang my fist. I'm not gonna get red-faced. I'm not gonna uh, espouse a candidate. Let's just think about this for a second. Because here's what's happened. For the Christian worldview, You think about life, sanctity of life, it's theological, then it's moral. For the non-Christian worldview, it's personal and therefore political. And I submit to you this, that life is not a political issue. It's actually a theological issue. And so if you remove God You've got to put something else in there. And what we do is we remove God and we put ourselves in there. So watch, here's what happened. Why is it a political issue instead of a theological issue? Because we removed God from a society, it leaves a vacuum in which government's got to step into. And so when government steps into it, now it's got to be a political type thing. So listen to it one more time. And I want you to think about this. Just think about this. Wherever you are on this side of the issue, think about this. It's theological. God gives life. Therefore, it's a moral issue. Or if you don't believe in that, you believe it's a personal issue because you've removed God from the equation. And because it's a personal issue, it becomes a political issue. And this personal to political has the inability inability to define with life begins. But the theological to the moral, has the ability to define when life begins. I think it's amazing that we're looking for life on Mars and we can't find it in a 3D sonogram. We're looking for, if we can find a water molecule molecule in Mars and we're looking at a 3D sonogram, well, it's because it's personal to become political. So I ask you, if this is your thought here, I just ask you a simple question. Define when life starts. Define when life starts. And you'll hear a lot of times just a whole lot of spin on that. We can clearly define that God brings life at conception and God takes life uh, at the grave into eternal life if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. And here's what's gonna happen for the rest of our lifetimes. Do not be shocked. The rest of your lifetime and my lifetime, political candidates are gonna have to choose one side or the other. And you're gonna have to bring that thought to the ballot box. That's just gonna, how it's gonna be. So is it theological to moral? Is it personal to political? And as we've already said in our service earlier, if you've made a decision that wasn't for life, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ because here's the deal. We love the mother and we love the child. There doesn't have to be a choice. Give you an example and then we'll wrap this part up. We have a ministry called Embrace Grace in our church we just started. Um, We've done adoption ministry for years And we have one of the most robust adoption ministries, foster care and kinship ministries in the nation. And that's not bragging, that's passion. So we are all for that. We help folks all the time. We started this Embrace Grace to be able to to love on these ladies that are in a challenging situation. And I got a few notes that they just said, Dear Pastor, and they wrote me a note. This is just two out of the many. Thank you, I'm truly grateful for this program and this church for providing a safe and loving space for me during one of the scariest and darkest times. Do you hear somebody yelling at this woman? No, I hope you hear care, a safe and loving place for me to have during one of the darkest and scariest times of my life. It is the first time in my life I feel connected to God and that is thanks to this ministry. I'm now seeing this whole experience as a blessing, not only that I'm gifted with a son, but I'm also connected to God. Thank you for this amazing environment. Hope you're loving that. Goes further, thank you for this program. Thank you, this program has taught me so much about the Lord, about myself. And having this program at your church has made my current situation so much better. And now I'm okay with myself and with the choice to keep this beautiful blessing. Thank you. Embrace Grace has taught me a lot. So I just tell you this, as we're at this place on this day with this scripture, God put it all together where it says, Jesus Christ has abolished death and has brought life in immortality to light through the gospel of Christ. Think about those things. Is there a theological aspect or is it only personal and therefore only political? Now, our next thing that we have here, the point I wanna give you, share the gospel to yourself and to believers and to others. I'm going to hit warp speed at this point because it's snowing outside. I'm sure feet and feet of snow uh, that we've got to trudge through that's happening right now in this moment. So we're going to hit warp speed. Share the gospel with yourself. Remind yourself of the good news. Share the gospel with other believers. That's what Paul is doing with Timothy here. He said, Timothy, don't forget these things. And share the gospels with others so that they can receive the salvation in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. And we need to be reminded of that. Paul says, again, I say rejoice. So share the gospel with yourselves and with believers and with others. That's what Paul's doing. Now look at verse 12, our last verse of scripture. Uh, verse 11, actually, it started verse 11. This is his sharing. For the gospel, I was appointed a herald. That means somebody declaring. An apostle, that means somebody sent. And a teacher, that means someone giving guidance. That's Paul. Verse 12, and that is why I suffer these things. He's suffering. But I, here's the key, but I am not ashamed. Remember you start. don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know whom, English teachers, high five in the margin right there for whom. Whom I have believed and am persuaded that he, Jesus, is able to guard my life, my soul, what has been entrusted to me until that day, the return of Christ or the death of Paul. So he says, I am persuaded. I'm not ashamed because I know whom. Here it is. Stand strong by declaring who or whom, whichever it's supposed to be in my little point, whom you are trusting in. Now now hear me loud and clear on this. We're gonna wrap this thing up. Christianity is not about aware. I just need to go to church more. That's aware. It's great. I'm all for church. It's not about aware. Christianity is not about a how. Well, I just need to quit doing that and start doing that. I, I'll tell you how I go to heaven. I'll tell you how I do so. I'll just have moralistic, therapeutic deism. I'll just try to feel good. I'll try to convince myself of things. I'll try to say this is good. And I'll just walk through with just kind of an ambiguous God. And then when I get up to the ambiguous God, he'll say, Oh, come on, get in here. Doesn't matter. Everything's fine. It's all the same. It's not a how on your works. It's not a where on the church. It's not a what it's a who, it's a who, and the who is Jesus, so he says, I am going to suffer all these things, and I'm going to be persuaded that who I've entrusted myself to is able to guard it until the day, that day of judgment day, that day of the return of Christ, that day of death, I'm trusting in the who, so I'm telling you this, church, here's what I'm trying to tell you, here's the big point. You put your feet on the who and you'll never slip on ice. You get on the firm foundation of the who in the power of God and you say, I will not be ashamed of his people or his testimony because Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter change this life. And I'm saved and I'm called and I'm able to be a herald, an apostle, and a teacher and all those that have gone before me that are believers in Christ, I miss them. Oh, I miss them. But I know they just stepped through a doorway because of Jesus that opened it through the cross and the resurrection. You See it? It's a who. Have you trusted in Jesus? Well, I'm a good guy. Have you trusted in Jesus? Well, I grew up in church. Have you trusted in Jesus as the who? of your life. And if that's the case, guess what? That's called the gospel. Good news. God sent his one and only son on Christmas who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you'll have an Easter when you die. That's for all of eternity. So we live for him here. Give you a last illustration, and it's a good one that you could just take in your heart. There's a lady that began to struggle with Alzheimer's. She began to forget things, but she had this verse memorized. This was like her verse that she had memorized. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that very day. That was her verse, and she'd say it over and over. So she'd start forgetting a little bit, and she'd say, I am... Not ashamed because I know whom I believed in and I'm able to trust in. Then it started slowly, but surely she started forgetting certain words and it just began to be, I I, I know whom I believed in and I know I'm persuaded. And until that day, and finally she got on her deathbed and she was whispering this last word as this verse began to break apart throughout those years. It's just less and less and less and less. And they leaned forward as she kept whispering one word from this verse, just one word, just whispering it and leaned forward to listen. They heard her saying with a faint whisper, only, only words she could remember from this verse, him, him, him. Basically, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She knew the who, and it took her through the doorway into eternal life. That's a whole lot better news than you trying to quit cussing. Place your faith in Jesus and let him take care of the rest. And when you walk through the snow, you're going to have a firm grip. you get on the ice, don't be ashamed. You won't slip. God's got you. You take his hand and you walk off the field with him. You'll find that actually when people are booing you, he's reaching down for your hand. You're the child. I'm the child. And we'll walk on firm ground, unashamed, standing strong, walking in the grace of Jesus Christ. Oh, Paul, what a good word. What a good word, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for that. That's a good word. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We've covered some deep ground, some deep territory, Lord, but we come in the grace of Jesus Christ in the power of Christmas, the power of Good Friday, the power of Easter Sunday. And we just say we want to place our faith on the who of Christianity, and it's Jesus Christ. It's not may the force be with you. It's not some ambiguous God. It's not about feeling good. It's not about just doing good. It's about a personal relationship with the Son of God named Jesus. And then from all that, you'll take care of everything else. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, Would you pray right now? Say, Jesus, save my soul. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Ask him to be your savior and forgive you. If you do know Christ, would you say, Lord, just help me stand strong. I don't want to be ashamed. Help me stand strong. And all of us, let's thank Him that death is just a doorway to resurrection life. Our loved ones on the other side are waiting with open arms and bated breath for us to see the glory of it all. Father, we come and just lastly, I thank you for a man in a prison giving us words of eternal life. Wow. We are young Timothys listening to this, Paul. Take our timidity and let it become strength in the power of God. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.